taught that to her. Did y'all know that? <laughs> Let's stand together and sing God's song. copy of God's Word this morning, please, and open it again to the book of First Peter. And if you're just joining us for the first time, we're going through the book of First Peter, and we're just taking it passage by passage. And it's quite interesting, as I could have rearranged the Scripture to maybe fit a little better sometimes. I've already talked about government, and today we're looking at something else. But I just let the Lord guide in that, as we've been studying through the book, just from chapter to chapter, and verse to verse, and we find ourselves in a brand new chapter 
uh, this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, it's always fun to get to talk to kids and uh, get their opinion on things and get to hear what they think about things. And it's especially interesting when you begin to talk to kids about subjects like love and marriage. Uh, you never know what they're going to say when it comes to love and marriage. And so a pastor uh, decided to talk to a group of fourth graders on the topic of marriage. And he asked this question. He said, I wonder if any one of you know what God has to say about marriage. And immediately, you know, they're always in every class. Immediately, in the, there's a little boy waving his hand back and forth, waiting to be called on. And so the pastor saw him and finally called on him and said, okay, what does God have to say about marriage? And the little boy replied, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. <laughs> and I'm afraid he's right more times than we would like to admit. Uh, when it comes to marriage, we don't always know what we're doing and we don't always get it right. Someone has noted that marriage can be quite frustrating said in the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the wife listens. In the second year of marriage, the woman speaks and the man listens. When you get to the third year of marriage, they both speak and the neighbors listen. <laughs> and so we've got to talk about today, why do we have all these problems, it seems, when it comes to the topic of marriage? Why do we have all these problems? Well, one of the reasons that we do is because sometimes we try to do things our way rather than God's way. And it's so foolish when you think about it. Uh, God has left us His instructions and His Word, and yet we set out on our own, and we think we know better, and we think we know how to go about this thing, and we end up with some real serious issues going on. We can end up miserable, we can end up frustrated, and even worse. And I only bring all this up today because the Scripture does... Uh, here as we come to chapter 3, Peter begins talking to the wives and then he's going to talk to the husbands. And he lays down some divine instruction on how we're supposed to respond to our spouse. And the interesting thing about this, as one scholar pointed out, is you'll notice that the focus of what he tells us is not about our rights as a spouse, but rather our duties or our responsibilities. In other words, how we should treat our spouse and how we should respond to our spouse. Now, he starts out talking to the wives, then he moves to talking to the husbands. And I've got to warn you, just got to let you know up front that what I'm about to tell you this morning is out of step with society today. In fact, what I'm about to tell you is probably, be probably as popular as dial-up internet would be today. Do you all remember dial-up internet? Uh, when for internet first came out... Boys and girls, young people, you just, it, it wasn't like it is now. You literally had to hit the, in the modem and then it would connect through the phone line and it was not fast. And what I'm about to tell you would probably be about as popular as dial-up internet would be today. In fact, some would even say probably no internet would be better than dial-up internet. And what I'm about to tell you, some might say, you know what? No marriage might be better than what you're going to tell me today. But I want you to hang in there and I want you to listen to what God has to say. My, my purpose today is not to be politically correct. Uh, I want to be biblically correct. So I make no apologies for what I'm about to tell you here. I'm going to give you God's word on this matter and I'm going to leave it there. But here's the issue. Here's why so many people seem to chafe. Because of a misunderstanding about what God means 
when he tells us what he tells us. And there are those who have abused this and there are those who have used this in wrong ways and there are those who have misunderstood these things. So what I've done in, in the next two weeks, today and next week, is I've tried to boil down what Peter is saying, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, mind you, what Peter is saying to the wife in one word and what Peter says to the husband in one word. And I'll just tell you, some people aren't going to like the word. But I've tried to narrow it down to the individual role and one word. And so the word for wives is the word submit. And I told you it's not popular. But I want you to stay with me. I want you to hear what God has to say about it. And you might leave here surprised at exactly what he's saying. So don't leave yet. So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Wives, so we know he's talking to, wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair and wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, I've got to be honest with you, there's a lot we need to talk about in that passage. But I need to set your mind at ease right away, especially all the wives and the ladies and those who want to be wives one day. Submission here has nothing in the world to do with inferiority. Nothing. Furthermore, it's not saying that men are better than women. In fact, many people we meet them might say the opposite's true. What it's saying, basically, beloved, is that in marriage there must be a leader. There must be someone who will bear the ultimate and final responsibility. And the Bible is clear because you might be thinking, well, that's just one passage. I mean, that's just one. Maybe that's not exactly. Well, the Bible is clear that the husband is to have the role of leadership because if you look at these other verses, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, that's just two passages. Well, Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. So we find a theme going on. The husband's to be the leader and the husband's to be the head of the home. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says it this way. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. I love what Adrian Rogers, you know, I love Adrian Rogers. He's in heaven now. One of my preaching heroes. I love what he said about this. He says, sometimes we get confused about what it means to be the head of the family. Anything with no head is dead. Y'all understand that. The snakes are out in the vengeance. And when they come in your yard, what do you want to do? Take their head off and make them dead. Anything with no head is dead. And anything with two heads is abnormal. You find a snake with two heads? Run. Get the shotgun. So... He says, just because the man is the head doesn't mean the wife is inferior. Both men and women bear the image of God. Both are heirs of the grace of life. Both are equal before God. But while male and female are equal, God has given them different roles. 
And in the family, many have been given the role of a leader. And by the way, that rubs and goes against everything we ever hear today in society. And people chafe under that. that men, let me just tell you this. I don't care what the media says. Men and women are different. Boys and girls are different. God made us that way. And people don't like that, but it's the truth. And you don't have to look far to see that. You can go down the nursery. And you go down there with the little boys, little girls. The boys are making guns out of stuff and blowing stuff up and making machine guns. And the girls are rocking babies. And the boys are shooting the little babies. The girls are rocking. They're different. Boys and girls are different. Men and women are different. We're wired differently. We're made differently. And we have to understand that when God says in His Word, here's your role, He knows what He's talking about. And this whole idea of submission, there's so, so much misunderstanding of it. Why? Because there are those who have abused it. No godly man, listen to me, no godly man's going to puff his chest out this morning and say, that's right, preacher, you tell him. That's ungodly. You don't realize what you're saying. God has given you a tremendous burden. We're going to talk about the husbands next week. But God has given you a tremendous burden and a tremendous responsibility when He says, listen, I'm holding you accountable for your family. You're going to answer for your family. Man, that doesn't make me puff my chest out. That makes me say, God, help me. God, help me. Then there are those who have abused this. And so some precious ladies, they chafe under this whole idea because it's been abused in their life. This is never meant to be, listen, it's never meant to be oppression. It's not suppression. Not at all. It's not about keeping the wife beat down and keeping women beat down. It's actually about lifting women up. You think about the society the Bible is written in and, and you look at how that the woman was elevated so many times in the Scripture and how Christianity did. And how God honored women and used women. In our Sunday school class this morning, look what He did with Ruth and placing her in so many others. So it's not about oppression. It's not about suppression. It's not about keeping women down. In fact, what happens many times is on like a Mother's Day, a preacher will preach upon Proverbs 31. You know, Proverbs 31 is that ideal passage for the ladies. And it's interesting, you read that passage, you think about this whole idea of submission. You read about it taking care of her family and all, but you may not have ever noticed some of the verses in there. It says in Proverbs 31:16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. That's not oppression, that's not suppression at all. Look at Proverbs 31:24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. In a real way, when I read those passages, I say, this is a businesswoman. I mean, yes, she's caring for her family, doing other things, but she's not held down. She's allowed to use her talents and her giftings. She's allowed to, to go forth and do what God has wired her to do and equipped her to do, taking care of her family and also being what God has made her to be. So when it says submission, it does not mean oppression. It does not mean suppression. It does not mean inferiority. It's all about administration. Someone has to take the lead. We understand that in life. We understand that in work, at school, in the military. There must be someone who bears the final responsibility, the final burden. And in fact, when you think about it, Jesus Christ Himself modeled it for us. Jesus, who is God, became man without ceasing to be God. He was born as a baby. And he grew up and his parents, his earthly parents, were named Mary and Joseph. 
And what do we see about the Lord Jesus? He says He's submitted to them. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. He's the one that created them. Guys and gals have a hard time listening to your parents. We all did. We all do. We struggle with that. We want to push the envelope. We want to kind of push the boundaries sometimes. But think about this. Think about if you were God who created the parents in the first place. And yet it says Jesus submitted to them. Furthermore, if you look at the Trinity, when Jesus was upon the earth, how many times we see him submitting to the will of the Father? Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And so Jesus himself modeled this whole idea of submission. Submission is a part of our life. We submit to our teachers, to the principal, to the law, to government. We've talked about that already. And then in the roles of matrimony and the, the marriage relationship, God says, listen, the, the man's to be the leader. The wife is to submit to his leadership. It doesn't mean you're inferior. It doesn't mean you're no good. It doesn't mean he's better. It just means I'm holding him accountable. He's to be the leader. Biblical submission, someone said, it's kind of like dancing. It's a beautiful picture. Anybody here like to dance? You enjoy dancing? I like what Sanchez said about it. He said, God designed the male-female relationship to be a beautiful dance where the man leads and the woman follows. When two people know how to dance, they are of one man, one mind. The man, I love this, the man anticipates where he will lead the woman and the woman anticipates where she will be led. And when you have two that are dancing, somebody's got to take the lead. And if they both try to lead, it's going to be a disaster. If biblical submission is like dancing, though, y'all remember, dancing's not easy. Right? It's not easy. And even when two Christians marry... And by the way, that's the way the Scripture says it's supposed to happen. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, a believer should marry a believer. Okay? Even when two Christians marry and they walk down the aisle and they stand here and they're married, even though they're both Christians, that's no guarantee that they're going to have a wonderful and beautiful dance together as husband and wife. You know why? Because marriage takes work. Did y'all know that? Marriage takes work. Hard work. And it takes obedience to God's instructions. Now, it's interesting as you look at this here, Peter's writing to many wives, it seems, who have gotten saved. But their husbands had not gotten saved yet. Uh, this creates a huge issue in the life of people when one spouse gets saved and the other does not. And especially back then, and you notice here he says he counsels them, these wives, to be submissive to their own husbands. Notice what it says. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In other words, they'll get saved, hopefully, because of what you do. Now, I want to point out something very important. Notice he says there that they're to be submissive to their own husbands. It's not submission to men in general. It's not just any man. It says they're to be submissive to their own husbands. And the hope and prayer here is that as they live out Christ and live out their faith in front of their husbands, their husbands will realize that their wife is different and realize the gospel has truly changed their wife and that they too will desire and have a hunger to get saved themselves. 
And the interesting thing is he emphasizes the inner beauty as opposed to the outward beauty. Now, there's nothing wrong, he talks about here, there's nothing wrong with fixing your hair, wearing jewelry or makeup, wearing pretty clothes. Um, We appreciate you doing that. That's a good thing. But what he's saying is this, your inner beauty is even more important. You know, somebody can be pretty on the outside, but ugly on the inside. And he mentions a humble and quiet spirit. In, in other words, living like Jesus in front of the husband. And he brings up Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And she was submissive to her husband, even calling him Lord. Now listen, let me set your mind at ease. When you're reading that, you've got to consider their time, their culture, their setting. This is not telling you to call your husband Lord. Guys, don't even push that envelope. That's not what it's saying at all. This is about the heart. And because of their time and their culture and where they live, the heart of Sarah was a heart of submission, and that heart resulted in her using her mouth in that time frame, in that setting, to show respect and submission to Abraham. In other words, her mouth and her actions showed what was in her heart. That may look different. It does look different in our society in the day in which we live. But then you have the issue about wives. When you read this, you think, well, what if he's about to make a dumb decision? Has your husband ever made a dumb decision? Don't, don't answer out loud. <laughs> Has he ever made a dumb decision? So does it mean then that you can't counsel him, you can't talk with him? No. In fact, if your husband is wise, he will seek your counsel and talk with you and, and want your input and listen to you and, and even realize that there are things you're more gifted in and talented in and he'll seek out your counsel. But the truth of the matter is, in the end, even if he makes a dumb decision, and by the way, I need to say this, you know, you say, are there any limits to this division? Well, of course there are limits. If he tries to get you to do something illegal, immoral, that sort of thing, sin, that, that's different, just like with the government. But within the bounds of marriage, let's say he's going to do something dumb, and you know it's dumb. And you even told him it's dumb. In a kind, sweet, loving, gentle way. <laughs> but he decides to do it anyway. And you have to submit. Here's what it's teaching. You're submitting to the Lord and submitting to your husband. And you're trusting the Lord even as you submit in that area, whatever the decision may be, whatever it is he's doing. As you, you're just being obedient. And you give that to the Lord. You say, Lord, you know, you know what he's doing is dumb. And I tried to warn him, tell him, but he's still going to do it. And you just, you just submit. Say, Lord, I'm just going to submit. I'm going to go along with this. And I'm going to trust you. And that honors the Lord. And it communicates a tremendous amount to your husband. Now, let me say a word to those ladies that are not married or those young ladies that are hoping to get married one day. We've already said that you should only marry a believer. We've established that. Uh, But when it comes to saying the words, I do, you better be very careful who you say that to. I picked up a little paperback book when I was at the pastor's conference in January. The book was called Your Future Other Half, It Matters Whom You Marry by Rebecca Van Dudewaard. 
she must have really loved him to take that name. <laughs> but I commend the book to you. And I was flipping through it the other day. You say, why would you buy a book? Well, you know, when you're a pastor, people come to counsel and whatnot. And you, you, know, you, you buy books you wouldn't buy otherwise to use with other people. And I was paging through it thinking about today. And she mentions about the way that marriage is going to impact you. It impacts you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally. And this is common sense, but we forget it. Why? Because we get blinded by our love. And you know, young couples come in and they don't walk into the pre-marriage counseling. They float in on clouds and they hover there while I talk with them. And we try to get through and talk about what's coming. Because I love that graphic. I do, then what? I do, then what? And so you better be very careful who it is you say I do to. I do to. No, anyway. Here's what you're saying if you're going to be biblical. You're saying, I submit to you. You're saying, I'm trusting you to guide us and to lead us. And you better make sure that that gentleman is God's choice for you and God's will for you before you say, I do. And you can look, if you'll stop for a moment and come down off your cloud... And think about things like, well, how does he treat you now? Is he loving to you now? Is he kind? Is he considerate? Does he put you first? Does he go out of his way to serve you in various ways, opening a door or whatever it may be? Is he doing things that show that he truly loves you? Because the truth of the matter is, if he's not doing that now, what makes you think it's going to change after you say, I do. Because it's not going to change. In fact, what little he might be doing <laughs> may actually go away. And so you want a godly husband. Not a perfect husband. There are none. But you want a godly husband. And so realize that when you say, I do, if you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian seek to live the Bible, you're saying to that Man, I trust you to lead me and guide me. Now, let me say a word real quick to the ladies that are married to maybe unbelieving husbands. And you're married in holy matrimony, but it seems like that you're obviously facing two directions. You're seeking to follow Christ. He's following whatever. Let me just tell you something very blunt and plain. I'll give you a verse. God does not want your marriage to end just because your spouse is unsaved. Write, write this reference down. 1 Corinthians 7.13 And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, an unsaved husband, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. 1 Corinthians 7.13 Now, if you're a Christian lady and you're married to an unsaved husband, it is right for you to want your husband to be saved. But I, I would think it would be one of the greatest desires of your heart and greatest prayer of your heart to pray for your husband to be saved. But listen, you cannot nag your husband into the kingdom of God. You cannot preach him into the kingdom of God. 
You, you can't leave enough gospel pamphlets in his underwear drawer hoping he finds them in the morning and reads them and he'll get saved. In fact, if you nag him and preach at him and do those sorts of things, you're probably going to have the exact opposite effect upon what you're desiring. This passage tells you what to do. It sets the tone. First of all, it says what? To, be, to live Christ before him. Look at it again. Wives, likewise, we submit to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In other words, you just live Christ in front of your husband. And you just let them see Christ in you. Secondly, well, it's not mentioned specifically in this passage, I think it's safe to assume that prayer plays a huge role in this. You're going to need prayer for yourself that you will live Christ before your husband. And furthermore, you're going to be praying that your husband would come to Satan, faith in Christ. Pray for your husband. The wonderful thing about it is he may not listen to you, may not come to church, may not care about the gospel, but he is helpless against your prayers. I love that, by the way. People are helpless against our prayers. I have to pray for people to hate me, and they're helpless. They can't stop me from praying. Third, you're married to an unsaved husband, respect and submit to your husband. Notice that Peter gives this instruction to women who are married to men who are unsaved. He doesn't say, well, that's a special case. No, he says, I want you to submit. Show them respect. Value their counsel, their direction, all the while trusting the Lord. And then let me say a word to the church at large. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ whose spouses are unsaved. Not talk about them. Not look down upon them. But lovingly pray for them that they might be saved. Lovingly pray for them that they might be saved. Well, it's obvious we're not going to have time to get to the word for husbands. We'll save it for next time. But I want to leave you with this thought today. It's a tremendous thought. God cares deeply about your marriage and your home life. God cares deeply about your marriage and your home life. And you will never go wrong in submitting to His care and obeying His instructions. I think it's safe to say even that God cares more about your home life than you do. Can I remind you as we close, this was his idea to start with. You were his idea. Your spouse was his idea. Marriage was his idea. Love was his idea. Sex was his idea. All of this was his idea. In fact, he tells us in his word that it even pictures the relationship that Jesus has with His bride, the church. And when we have godly homes and godly families, we are preaching a sermon to those who are aware of us without saying a word about Jesus and His bride. So I don't know where you are today in your home life. It may be tremendous and wonderful. You may be having your second, third, or fourth honeymoon today. I don't know. Or you may say you're having some of the hardest times you've ever had in your life when it comes to your home life. 
Can I just tell you, God cares deeply about that. And you can go to him and ask for his help and his guidance and his intervention. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word today. Lord, I know that at times it's very difficult to submit and follow your will. But I pray for marriages today and I pray for families today. And I don't know what it is that maybe people are dealing with even this morning. But I pray your richest blessings upon the homes that make up our church family. The moms, the dads, the husbands, the wives, the single moms, the ones that are divorced, the ones that were never married, whatever the case may be, you love all of them. And you care deeply about them. And you care deeply about their situation. So Lord, help us to submit to you today, knowing that you know best, knowing that your word is right, knowing that you have our good in mind and your glory. And Father, I pray if anybody here today is not saved, would you convict their heart and bring them to saving faith in Christ. Allow us to have an opportunity to talk with them about Christ even this very moment as we sing this song. And we'll give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 474, all the way my Savior leads me. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and pray today, whatever the case may be, the altar is open. We're here to assist you if you'd like. 474, all the way my Savior leads me.